Hello and welcome back. West Bank Bible Church Podcast. I'm here with Pastor Merritt. Before we begin, as is our custom, and happy Father's Day. Uh, but before we begin, as is our custom, let's remember 1 John 1 9 as may or may not be necessary. Pastor Merritt, take it away. All right. Doctrine of the synagogue. First, an introduction. In the Greek, synagogue means simply a place of assembly, though it came to be the technical name for an immeasurably important institution in Judaism. The word in the Greek is sunagoge. Sunagoge means come together uh, in assembly, a place of assembly. All right, the origin of sunagoge or synagogue is a matter of considerable dispute. Jewish tradition strongly suggests that the synagogue is at least as old as the time of Ezra, which would be circa 445 B.C. The two most ancient synagogues were discovered in Babylonia. That ought to strike a uh, whoa kind of reaction because most people think of a Jewish synagogue. But the earliest discovered was in Babylonia, the oldest founded by King Jehoiakim in circa 597 B.C. You remember the three destructions of Jerusalem and the temple for 606, 597, and 586, remembering that you go backwards in terms of B.C., So the year was 597 B.C. I think we can safely conclude the synagogue grew out of a need made acute during the diaspora, in other words, the dispersion when the Jews were cast out of Jerusalem and taken to Babylonia. And that is described as we hit, well, we saw it last uh, podcast, Uh, in Psalm 119. Jews banded together in the foreign land of Babylonia because they had to. And then later when Babylonia was defeated by the Persians, when Cyrus was king, uh, they maintained their ancient religion. And where did they meet? They met in a synagogue, which has been discovered. And there were many discovered later, as as we uh, might indeed see in this lesson, in places other than Israel. Because you recall, this temple was destroyed and all of the places of worship inside the temple 
which we have no evidence they were ever called synagogue or synagogue, but many were used as a place where Jews could gather outside the land and uh, worship. References to the synagogue in the Talmud or Talmud prior to the time of Solomon's temple do not exist. The New Testament itself with over 50 uses of the word synagogue presents the first coherent accounts of its weekly Sabbath services. And that would be, of course, on Saturday when the Jews would come together in a place of synagogue, places of assembly, and they would hold their worship services. So the synagogue was such an extensive and developed institution by New Testament times that it must have had a history of some length prior to the first century. The synagogue was a developed institution by New Testament times, such an institution that it must have had a history of some length prior to the first century. As early as the time of Caesar Augustus, there were many synagogues in Rome. It does appear that there were synagogues outside Palestine before there were synagogues inside the land of Israel. This institution, that is the synagogue, grew to maturity and underwent its most important development during the period of Jewish history that falls between the close of the Old Testament in roughly 400 B.C. and the Maccabean Revolt in uh, circa 445 to 168 B.C. And, of course, uh, that would be during the Maccabean Revolt 4044 to 168, when the Maccabees revolted against the Seleucids, that is, the Greeks, who had mistreated the Jews for some time, and uh, uh, the, the Maccabean boys got together and put together a very significant military operation and uh, took back the land later to be in 60 B.C., taken from the Jew by the Romans, Pompey being the Caesar at the time who did that. All right, let's take a look at Psalm 74, verse 8. That is considered by sub to be the only specific mention of a synagogue occurring in pre-Christian literature. This reference, however, cannot be proven to be 
the word meaning a place of weekly worship. Let me read Psalm 74, verse 8. They said in their hearts, Let us destroy them together. They have burned up all the synagogues. And uh, the Hebrew word there for, is moed uh, in the land. All remembrances of God in the land. David, tell us what Wycliffe has to say in his encyclopedia. He writes of the Hebrew word moed. Moed means a fixed time or season, like a festival. Conventionally, a year, by implication, an assembly as convened for a definite purpose. Technically, the congregation. By extension, the place of meeting also a signal as appointed beforehand. The present Hebrew word for synagogue, bet hakrineset, house of the assembly, is nowhere used in the Old Testament. The synagogue probably grew out of two basic needs. First, the exile in Babylonia, when it may be presumed that the Jews gathered together for prayer and to strengthen themselves and each other in their devotion to the religion of their fathers. Second, the emphasis of Ezra on the law at the time of the Restoration. A possible clue for the origin of the institution in Babylonia is to be found in Ezekiel 14.1. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me, and sat before me. Although there is no mention of the synagogue and records of the Restoration, the entire history of the return presupposes the habit of periodic assemblies of people. Ezra, chapter 8, verse 15. And I gathered them together to the river that runneth to Ahava, and there abode we in tents three days. And I viewed the people and the priest, and found there none of the sons of Levi. Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 2. And Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Zechariah, chapter 7, verse 5. Speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even those seventy years did ye all fast unto me, even to me. Function, strictly speaking, the temple was the place of worship in Judaism while the synagogue became the educational institution, providing a place to study the law. As the institution for the study and collation of the law, the synagogue was especially suited to the Pharisaic interest. And from the 2nd century B.C. onward, this institution was dominated by the Pharisees. In practice, however, the distinction between worship and instruction disappeared. The, the Jews who lived at great distances from Jerusalem found it difficult, if not impossible, to worship in the temple. It was only natural that the synagogue, as a place of religious association and fellowship, should be adapted to the common need for worship. Thus, this element became increasingly a part of synagogue 
life is expressed in its services. For those Jews dispersed around the Roman world, the synagogue served as a civic center of the Jewish community and provided the schools necessary for the teaching of the young. The atmosphere of this institution among the dispersed Jews soon tended toward the secular rather than the religious. But what were the requirements, G? Well, before a village or city could have a synagogue, there were certain requirements. The community must contain 10 males above 12 years of age. It was expected that 10 or more men be present for each service. We earlier mentioned that, or David, that is not King David, but David Hammond mentioned that in his, his Old Testament overview, uh, which uh, was uh, well done, by the way, I might say. And it is also mentioned as a factor when uh, Paul crossed over into Macedonia in Philippi, and he was looking for a synagogue. But there was no synagogue because there were no men available. So the ten males had to be living in a city before one could have a synagogue. So it was expected that ten or more men be present for each service. In some communities, wealthy men of leisure habitually represented the congregation at the services, supplying regularly the required number. Hold on, let me ask you something. Who are the wealthy men of leisure? Is there an application I can apply for that? Uh, yeah, you can, but uh, you have certain requirements, David. You have to go to church every Saturday. I could do that. All right. <laughs> okay. So evidently, Philippi did not have ten such males to form a synagogue. The few followers of Judaism, first encountered by Paul in Philippi, met for prayer outside the city by a river. Says Acts sixteen twelve through thirteen. So when Paul, I think this was on the second missionary journey, and uh, Silas went down to, well, when they crossed over into Macedonia, they thought they'd find a synagogue, and they didn't. So what did they do? They went down by the riverside, and it was uh, where they knew that Jews used water in their services, and if they had any worshipers, uh, they would be by the river. And uh, there they found several ladies who were worshiping. And Philippi became an outstanding city in Macedonia thanks to the ladies. All right, Acts 16, 12, and 13. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected 
to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. So Philippi later became a quite a famous city. It was one of those cities that was given to spectacular men of war, that is, soldiers who had succeeded and had been decorated, and uh, they were given uh, as part of the Bama, which we have studied before, uh, a place and recognized as men of renown. That's kind of beyond our study, so let's move on. The larger towns, of course, would be able to support more than one synagogue. The Talmud tells us there were at one time some 480 synagogues in Jerusalem. Now this is much later. We've already made the point there were no early synagogues, but uh, the Jews needed a place to worship and they aggressively sought a place. In fact, uh, most agree the number might be problematic, but nonetheless, we do have a record in Scripture. And of course, Scripture is not problematic. Where Paul and Silas were placed in a prison in Philippi, and you'll remember how they were rescued by an angel but that's another story, but you can certainly read about that in in the book of Philippians, one of the four prison epistles that we covered last week. Now, there was no fixed size or shape for a synagogue. Again, according to the Talmud, however, it was required that the building be erected on the highest possible point in the community that is, the synagogue, the thought being that no building was worthy to look down upon this holy house. It was also desired that the chest, which contained the scriptures, referred to as the ark, should face toward Jerusalem. Notice how similar that is to the Ark of the Covenant, which had the three things in it, uh, in the original uh, Oh, what, what did they call it back then before, before the synagogue? Uh, the uh, temple. First, of course, it was the Ohel, which means tent, and then it became a temple, and they had the Holy of Holies, and they had a place where they had the three things in the chest. So you can see how that carried forward to the synagogue, which was much later, of course, than the tent and the temple. But it was to face toward Jerusalem and it also it was to have three things in it. And we'll not get into that now because we're not studying the temple. We're studying the Sunagoge. The building was usually made of stone. In Galilee, the synagogue was oriented on a north and south axis with the entrance to the building at the south end. Now, David, how about tell us about the services that were held in the synagogue? Synagogue services were first held three times each week. 
Saturday, Monday, and Thursday. Later, the synagogues located in popular centers held three services each day. The services corresponded to the times of the three daily temple sacrifices, the extra services being greatly abbreviated and consisting primarily of prayers. The main service of the synagogue was held on the Sabbath morning, Saturday. Prior to the New Testament times, it became the custom to conduct services on the great feast days for the benefit of the people who could not go up to Jerusalem. The services on these festive occasions were substantially the same as those held on each Sabbath morning. The order of the synagogue service gradually evolved. The earliest element in this development was the reading of the scripture in the Hebrew tongue, followed by an explanation in Aramaic. Note how Ezra read from the Pentateuch to the assembled people, making it clear and giving it meaning so that the people understood the reading. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. By New Testament times in the Greek synagogues located in Samaria and Galilee, it was the custom to read the scriptures in the Greek translation Septuagint. You try that. What's that word, Pastor Mary? Septuagint. Septuagint. First, uh, that was the first record recording of the Bible in uh, Greek. The Septuagint. Paul, for example, quoted directly from the Greek version of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Chapter 1, verse 5, in his sermon in the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia, Pisidia, Acts 13, 41. And it reads, Behold, ye despisers and wonder, and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe. Though a man declare it unto you. Habakkuk 1, 5. Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. The reading of the Pentateuch at the public gatherings in the earliest instances was probably on the occasion of certain festivals. Eventually, in Palestine, the entire Pentateuch was arranged in portions to be read Sabbath by Sabbath, completing the whole in a period of three years. Finally, there came a time when the reading of the Pentateuch was concluded with a verse or two from the book of the prophets. It is not known at what period the reading of the prophets came to be a part of the service, but it was certainly well before the end of the first century A.D. During New Testament times, a typical service on a Sabbath morning in a large synagogue would have followed an order as follows. Since the synagogue was essentially a lay institution, a Jew could read, lead the congregation in prayer, or, if gifted, speak to the assembly. Jesus took advantage of this freedom in his home synagogue in Nazareth when he read from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2, and preached concerning its meaning, Luke 4, verses 14 to 27. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord be upon me, is upon me, 
Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach, <coughs> to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Now let's see what Luke chapter 4 has to say, beginning in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, which is Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the book where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears, and all bear him witness. And he wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself, whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, so also here in thy country. Nazareth, of course, is town where he was raised. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his old country. Now Luke chapter 4 is a quote in part of what Jesus read and is recorded in Luke chapter 4. Let me start with verse 25 and I'll read verse 27 with brief comment. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias when the heaven was shut. That's Elijah, by the way. When the heaven was shut up three years and six months when great famine was throughout all the land and unto none of them was Elijah sent save unto Sarepta, a city in Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many, lit, lit, excuse me, and many lepers were in Israel 
in the time of, again, Elijah, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman, the Syrian. This is a partial quote. Uh, when you read the quote that was preceding Luke, and you'll see he read from Isaiah, if you'll check him out, he won't read all of what is found in Isaiah. And that's because he came to do certain things and the things that he did not come to do, our Lord and Savior leaves those out. So David, why don't you take over and read. The service began with an invitation to prayer given as a proclamation in the words, Bless ye the Lord who is to be blessed. To this the people replied, Blessed be the Lord, who is to be blessed forever. This was followed by the confession of faith known as the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. A better translation of Deuteronomy 6.4 might be, Listen, Israel, Jehovah is our plural God. Jehovah became one. For more detail, you can see the doctrine of Shema, which we have an outline form already. Following the Shema was a prayer. A prescribed reading from the Pentateuch followed. A reading from one of the prophetic books came next. In both readings, an interpreter more or less paraphrased the passage in the vernacular of the people. A homily or sermon immediately followed the prophetic, the prophetic passage that, in essence, was usually an exposition of the scripture read order, or a hortatory comment based on the same material. This on occasion might be given by a visiting Jew. Paul was often just such a visitor. In Acts 13, verses 14 through 16, 14, 1, 17, 1 through 4, and 10, 18, verses 4 and 19. Acts 13, verses 14 through 16. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. Acts 14.1 And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together in the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude both of the Jews and also of the Greeks believed. Acts 17.1-4 We did. Okay, so I'm a chicken. So Pastor Merritt, readers, Acts chapter 17, verse 1-4. through 4. All right. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis or Paulus and Apollonia, they came unto Thessalonica, where was where there was a synagogue of the Jews. I'm into Acts seventeen one and verse two. That was verse one. Now let me read you verse two. And Paul as his manner was, 
went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Acts 17.4, And some of them believed it consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. Now Acts 17.10, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming together went into the synagogue of the Jews. Berea, by the way, was considered to be a very positive church as compared to uh, some of the other churches there in Philippi. Philippi was a very positive church, but uh, Berea, that's why you find so many Sunday school classes in Baptist churches called the Bereans. Now, Acts chapter 18, verse 4, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Acts eighteen nineteen, And he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. The close of the service consisted of a benediction given by a priest that is to say, if one were present, to which the congregation responded with, Amen, after each verse. Now let me give you the synagogue officers, or actually, David, maybe you ought to do the synagogue officers. Are we getting close to where we ought to stop? I think we're going to go for about another five minutes. You know? oh, okay, well then... Uh, the synagogue officers... A synagogue was controlled by a body of elders presided over by a ruler of the synagogue. An arch synagogos. How was that? That was very good. Probably chosen from among the members. Mark 5, verse 22, Luke 8, 49, 13, verse 14, and Acts 13, verse 15. These elders had the general supervision of the services in the building. It was the ruler who invited different members of the congregation to lead the prayer and to read the scriptures. It was a stranger, if a stranger was invited to give the sermon, it was at the invitation of the ruler. The only paid officer of the synagogue was the minister or attendant. In the modern synagogue, this term is used for the reader or cantor. In New Testament times, he had several different jobs. It was his work to supervise the building and its furniture with special attention to the sacred scrolls. He blew the trumpet from the roof of the synagogue to indicate the beginning and ending of the Sabbath. Sometimes this person served as a schoolmaster to the young in the synagogue school. It was also the minister's responsibility to carry out any punishment decided by the elders for a member of the congregation. A fully organized synagogue also had officers called receivers who were responsible for receiving and distributing of alms. The recitation of prayers tended to settle upon one individual who became known, because of this function, as the reciter of prayers. 
This individual functioned also as a secretary of the congregation, taking supervision of the necessary transactions with the outside world. So I think we're going to stop right there. All right. And we are uh, right in the middle of page eight, and we'll be picking up with the uh, titling of furnishings in our next lesson. Let me make one quick point about the furnishings. They had a tall, oh, let's call it a tower with a ladder where one would crawl up the ladder, get up on this uh, particular tower, and there would be a desk up there. And that's where Paul went and preached when he was looked. They looked out in the back and they saw Paul. And they said, wow, that's the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle. The Apostle Paul, would you like to speak to us? And he walked forward and climbed up the stairs and sat down and preached in the synagogue. All right, David. All right, we appreciate you being with us today. Uh, We look forward to being with you next week. Uh, Pastor Merritt, could you give us a prayer? Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to see just how Christianity grew from, well, from a tent to a temple to a dispersion or from a dispersion into what we call us many synagogues that existed throughout the land and then to the church. And so we ask that the churches would prosper today and that the gospel would be proclaimed. And when we say the gospel, we're talking about the good news that Christ himself came as a man and gave his life that anyone who believed in his name would be what we call saved become a member of your family. And we know that comes by faith alone in Christ alone. So thank you for the wonderful plan so beautifully set forth in Scripture and help us to get the word out that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we look forward to sharing more of the good news on our podcast. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. And if you're out there and you've not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what are we to do, David Lee Hammond? In the privacy of your own heart, all you have to do is believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Again, in Jesus' name we pray, and a hearty amen. amen. (laughs) Until next time, so long.